Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you, and uh, thanks to Carrie. Um, I'm now scared to go on vacation because I don't know what's going to be said about me when I'm not here. So, uh, just in regards to David, so, uh, no, thank you, Carrie. Appreciate it. It's good to be with everyone this morning. Uh, you can open up your Bibles uh, to John chapter 6. And uh, if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 892. This morning, uh, we are going to continue our sermon series on uh, discipleship. As we begin, uh, let it be known that being a disciple of Christ is not just asking Jesus uh, to be our Savior, living like we want to, and going to church every now and then. We will learn this morning that that following Christ and being a disciple is a lifelong process and commitment. Many of us know people, whether it be friends or our family, who have drifted away or left the faith altogether. There are also former pastors, Christian musicians who have moved on from Christianity as well. A couple of examples are Joshua Harris and Derek Webb. Uh, Joshua Harris was a pastor at Covenant Life Church. He was part of Sovereign Grace Ministries and the Gospel Coalition. He wrote several books. I actually have one in my office signed by him with a note of encouragement to keep enduring, to keep pressing on in the faith. Uh, Two years ago on Instagram, he made a big announcement. Harris said this, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. Then he went on to say, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Derek Webb was a singer with a band named Cademan's Call. He had a solo career as a Christian musician and a song called Thankful He's saying this, I'm so thankful that I'm incapable of doing any good of my own. It's it's by grace I've been saved through faith. It's not my own. It's the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. We would and should say, Amen. A few years later on a podcast, Derek vehemently rejected Christianity. He spoke with vulgar language. He explained how he found more comfort and alcohol than the truths of the gospel. He now writes and sings songs that mock the Christian faith. Oftentimes we are surprised when we hear about people leaving the faith. Even though 1 John 2.19 tells us this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Not to downplay or make light of the situation, and by the grace of God, some who have left will truly be converted and return. But scripture tells us it will happen. In a sense, we are reminded of the validity of God's word when it does 
occur. We should be saddened and pray for those who have left. But remember, it's always happened, is happening, and will continue to happen. So as we come to our text this morning, we'll be wrestling with perhaps the most important aspect of discipleship. Endurance. We'll do this by answering these three questions. Why do some people not endure? How, how do we endure? And why should we endure? Some background before our text. In John chapter 6, verses 54 and 55, we read this. Jesus says these words, Whoever feeds my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood and abides in me and I in him. There's no time to go in great detail, but context is important. Scholars agree that Jesus was most likely not referring to the Lord's Supper because the Lord's Supper was not yet instituted. That would be a year later. Chapter 6 of John is about faith, what it means to commit to and follow Christ and what Christ came to do. Through the graphic illustration of flesh and blood, Jesus was referring to and preaching about his death on the cross. And through the cross, there is the hope of eternal life. So let's turn our attention to our text. uh, John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. This is God's holy word. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. For there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let us pray. Father, your word is good. It's true. It's hard. It's convicting. But Lord, we know that you are the Holy One of God. So we ask this morning that your Spirit would come. Oh, Spirit, get where we cannot get. That's the heart. Lord, our hearts are callous and hard, and so often we don't want to hear these things or talk about these things. But Lord, as we read, the Spirit gives life. So we ask that Spirit give life, give hearing. And Lord, that you would be with me during this time. Lord, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that the words in my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock 
and Redeemer. And it's in the mighty and precious name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So first, why do some people not endure? Verse 60 tells us that many of his disciples said that this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? We should note that the crowd was sitting under the teaching of Jesus, so they were referred to as his disciples. As we flesh this out, the Greek word hard that is used does not mean difficult to understand. It means what Jesus said was hard to accept. The crowd of his disciples understood exactly what Jesus was getting at. The problem was that it did not line up with their own views, their own beliefs about who Christ was. So they would not accept it. Wow. Does that ever sound familiar? Jesus, being God, knew they were offended, but asked them at the end of verse 61, and asked them at the end of verse 61, do you take offense at this? He understood that the cross is offensive. It's no different in 2021. You believe what? Salvation and eternal life come through believing that God sent His Son to live and die a painful and a horrific death? That's child abuse. That's crazy. Or as Bishop John Shelby Spong puts it, if a human father would nail his son to a cross for any purpose... He would be arrested for child abuse. I would choose to loathe rather than worship a deity who required the the sacrifice of his son. Yet, this should not surprise us or settle us. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who of us who are being saved, It is the power of God. Then in verse 62 of our text, Jesus ups the ante when he foreshadows his ascension into heaven. He's saying this, if you are offended now, just wait until I do die on the cross. I'm raised on the dead and I ascend to heaven. Basically, how are you going to feel when this becomes true? And perhaps we have no problem with the cross. We're all right with that. Yet, there may be other hard sayings in Scripture that we wrestle with or have a hard time accepting. What about the doctrine and reality of hell? On social media, it is predictable that when celebrities die, no matter how immoral, how faithless, or most importantly, Christless, Their life has been. The world and even many Christians tell them to rest in peace. I'm not advocating that we go around announcing they're in hell or rebuke everyone on social media. But it's more of a picture of something that many of us have a hard time accepting. This can be especially true of family members or friends who live apart from Christ. Despite the fact that Jesus talked more about the reality of hell than the new heavens and the new earth, we often speak of them being in a better place. How about saying that homosexuality is a sin? 
As the topic of homosexuality becomes more prominent in our culture, we must remember this. No matter how hard people try to spin it, try to explain it, try to justify it, no matter how many celebrities support it, or even people who claim Christ as Savior, like Jen Hatmaker, who said that she supports same-sex marriage and believes LGBT relationships can be holy, the reality remains the same. God created man, male, and female to be in relationship with one another and to enjoy the good gift of sex within the bounds of marriage. And I'm not picking on homosexuals or those who struggle with same-sex attraction. Our posture should be humility and love as we interact with any human being created in the image of God. I have friends who are homosexual and friends who struggle with this sin. They know where I stand. And by the grace of God, humility and love will continue to be my approach. My message would be and is the same to any male or female having a sexual relationship with someone of the opposite sex outside of marriage. Or any couple living together before marriage. Anyone unabashedly looking at and watching pornography. For some... Saying sexual immorality of any kind is a sin is a hard saying. It's not difficult to understand. It's hard to accept. People have left the faith, find another church that fits their viewpoint because of their unwillingness to accept what God's Word says about homosexuality. To that, I would say be careful. Paul speaks of this very thing. In 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure, interesting that he uses that word, will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Are we willing to change our opinions or our views to conform to the teachings of Scripture, or will we continue in error and try to make Scripture conform to our own viewpoints? In order to endure, we must be willing and open to having our views challenged and changed by Christ. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight our path. So how do we endure? At verse 63, Jesus could not be any more direct as to how we endure. It is the Spirit who gives life. Any spiritual conversion, any spiritual understanding, any spiritual growth is because of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with us. For the few who understood what Jesus meant and accepted what he had said, it was because of the Spirit. End of story. It wasn't anything they conjured up with themselves. They weren't smarter, richer, better looking, or nicer than the other people who did not understand. And despite the Bible's consistent and constant reminder that it's all by God's grace and the work of the Spirit, we wonder and guess and try to figure out why some understand and many do not. 
We so often got, think, think that God operates like us, even though His Word tells us quite the opposite. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, we read this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Romans chapter 9, we're given the example of twins, Jacob and Esau, to drive home this point. Same parents, same birthday, same upbringing, same house. What do we read? But God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Another hard saying. Do we accept it? And remember that God is the creator? That we are the creature? Or do we question God and his sovereignty? And forget that no one deserves salvation. And the best question about salvation is really this. Why does God save anyone? But we still think there has to be some formula, some way we can control it, some way we can manipulate it to ensure spiritual understanding. For our children, we can think if I send them to this school or that school, then they will walk with the Lord. School choice should be bathed in prayer based upon students' interests, personality, and what is best for each and every family. I've been here 15 years, and I've seen literally every combination with varying results. Mostly good because of the Spirit's work. Many public, private, homeschool kids are walking with and loving the Lord as adults. Sadly, on the flip side, we have public, private, and homeschool kids walking away from the Lord, denouncing the faith as adults. And in order to keep my sanity and to endure as a youth youth pastor, but I had to come to grips really quick and to accept the teaching of Scripture that I cannot change anyone. I can't make anyone believe. I'm planting seeds. Someone else is watering. And if there's any understanding, any growth, it is because of God and the work of the Spirit. So what's the answer for our children? I would say we are to do as we're commanded. Teach them about Christ At home, love and serve them well. Make Sunday morning worship a weekly priority. Not a once a month, we hope to get there if we don't have a conflict kind of thing. And prayer, lots and lots of prayer. For our boys, Laura and I consistently pray that the Spirit gets where we cannot. And that is to the heart. We don't want our boys to be, we don't don't want good morals. We don't want behavior change. We don't want good citizenship awards. We want boys who repent and believe the gospel. Boys who know that they are sinners and that their only hope in life is Christ. So we pray because only the Spirit can give life. Knowing and trusting that whatever God has in store for their spiritual future, that He is good and that He is God. And we are not. The Spirit giving life is a good reminder for all of us. There may be people who are here, who are members of Rivermont, people sitting in the pews this morning who do not believe. Jesus said this very thing in verse 64. There are some of us who do not believe, and that in, included Judas, one of the twelve, as verse 71 tells us. If you are here without faith in Christ, just to be seen by certain people or because church is something you're supposed to do on Sunday mornings, if your hope is in church attendance or membership and not in Christ, 
you need the Spirit to bring you from life, from death unto life. And the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, the fourth verse says this, Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness He requires is to fill your need of Him. This He gives you, this He gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. So may today, by the grace of God, be the day of salvation. Again, these may be hard sayings to accept, but Jesus does not back down from this. In verse uh, 65, he says, No one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Or again, a reminder of our salvation is all by the grace of God. And for some, this was the tipping point. Verse 66 tells us, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And maybe you're feeling like, man, it seems like Shane's trying to convince me to leave Christianity and to leave the church. Not at all. As a minister of the gospel, I'm trying to remind you and all of us what it means to endure in discipleship. That being a Christian is a long and hard daily grind. But it's so, so worth it. So why should we endure? Verses 67 through 69, Jesus said, we read this. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That that is where we want to be. That is why we should endure. Jesus has the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? If there's a doctrine, a belief, a command, a statement, a viewpoint that, that just bothers you, and you're having a hard time accepting what the Bible says about that particular area of life, how would you respond if Jesus came to you this morning and asked, do you want to go his way as well? Would you echo Peter's response? It's my hope and prayer that you would. And even if you don't completely understand something, having a hard time agreeing with something in Scripture, you can say, Lord, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave you. But I'm having a hard time understanding this. And by the power of your spirit, please help me understand. Again, where else are you going to go? You can choose, you can chase after that sin, or you can find some other people or group who agree with your viewpoint. But as Proverbs 14:12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way of death. There's no greater joy and satisfaction in life than following Christ and enduring to the end. Again, it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. We're not going to sin anymore. This same Peter, who just gave us one of the absolute most beautiful statements in all of Scripture, is the same Peter that in Mark chapter 8 began to rebuke Jesus. And, and Jesus had to set him straight and said, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about right here. All right. This is the same Peter that also denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. Yet, what did Peter do? He endured 
He endured to the end. He confessed, he repented, and kept following Jesus to the point of being crucified upside down. Most of our Christian lives are marathons, not sprints. So Christian, keep running the race. One step at a time. One day at a time. One week at a time. One year at a time. Don't quit. Endure. Endure. Endure to the end. Some of us still have a long way to go. And I dare I ask this. If we quit now, were we really Christians? I'll use myself as an example. Lord willing, if I live to 90 years old, I'm only halfway through with my life. I'm 45. If I spent the next 45 years living for myself, stopped going to church, denying Christ, have I endured? The same can be asked if I lived the last 15, 10, 5, or even year of my life in such a way. I'm not going to tell you there's a magic time frame to make it within to know that you're safe and have eternal life. All I can tell you again is what Scripture said and what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Not the one who said a prayer in high school and lived a life doing whatever he or she wanted. If we're putting our hope and trust in something we did or said 40 to 60 years ago without any spiritual growth or fruit in our lives, we are in a very precarious situation. Discipleship involves endurance. Yes, there are joyful seasons, but there are also dry and difficult seasons of, of life. And the Christian is the one who endures, the one who lives a life of repentance, the one who keeps their eye on the cross and the prize of eternal life. This may seem scary, and, and for good reason, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. All of a sudden, being the thief on the cross and hearing Jesus say, Today, you will be with me in paradise. That doesn't seem so bad all of a sudden. Because his spiritual life was not even a sprint, not even a crawl. He was spiritually born again, then physically died shortly thereafter and entered into eternal rest. But hear this. What is 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 years compared to eternity? Is that sin? That may feel so good in the moment, but leaves us dissatisfied and empty. Is it worth it? Or believing that God would never be like that or say that? Is it worth walking away because God's not like how we want Him to be? God created the entire universe. He created us so He knows how life should be lived and how we can enjoy it. And what's best for us. Just like inventors know how to best use their inventions. Or authors know the story. And have a plan for their story. How it's going to unfold and end. God created all things. And His story has been unfolding since time began. You ever think about this? Jesus said that the greatest form of love is when someone lays down his life for another. Yet, it may seem hard to understand or even accept that without sin, we would not know what the greatest form of love is. 
Jesus lived and he died on the cross, was raised on the third day so we could know how much we are loved by God the Father so that we could be in relationship with him and our sins forgiven. So by the power of the Spirit, may we accept even the hard sayings of Christ. Let us trust and believe in the one who created all things out of nothing by the power of his spoken word and gave us his son to pay for our sins and that he knows what's best for our lives and he knows how this world should operate and how we can thrive in it and how we can enjoy it. It's when this happens that we will endure to the end and all our suffering and heartache will truly seem like light and momentary afflictions. Because we will have our eternal rest and live forever without sin in the new heavens and the new earth because we have trusted in the one who has the words of eternal life. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we praise you. Thank you for this morning, this day again. And Lord, we just ask that you, again, by the power of your spirit, would impress these things upon our hearts. Lord, you are good and... Lord, thank you that you created all things. Lord, help us to be humble, to live lives of service, and know that Jesus has the words of eternal life. Holy Spirit, again, we pray that you would get where we can't get to our hearts. We cry out to you and call upon you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.